Thanks, Rich. Good afternoon now. It is great to be with you. It is great to be with you. It's great to be with you guys online. I don't know who it is, but welcome. Um, so we are still focusing on vision. It's September. We like to kind of talk a bit about vision and really, but in particular, what we feel God is saying to us as a church, what, what, what he's really impressing upon us at the moment to to focus on, to, to, to kind of to, to lean into. And um, last week, for those who are here, you'll know that the, the focus was on church as family, that the church is a family. It's not an organization. It's not a business. It's not a service provider to which consumers come. The church is a family. And we looked at how our love for one another actually is really the greatest witness to the world of the, the reality and the love of Jesus. This is what Jesus himself said. And as we looked at scripture about all of this, about church as family, about love for one another, you know, we looked at the example of the early church in the book of Acts. And we, we looked at what Jesus himself said about how we are to love one another in the same way that he has loved us. And we looked at what Jesus prayed in John chapter 17 for his people, for his church. He prayed that we would know that perfect unity, that perfect oneness that mirrors the oneness that Jesus and the Father have. Wow, that's a pretty high bar. And actually, it, we, could, we could start to sort of think, well, that's not even possible. And actually, if it was purely down to us in our own strength to achieve that, it wouldn't be possible. But praise God, it's not down to us in our own strength. This can only happen in the strength and the power of the Holy Spirit. We can only be the kind of family God calls us to be in the power of the Holy Spirit. We can only live the kinds of lives that God calls us to live, being naturally supernatural people, bringing the kingdom wherever we go. We can only do that in the power of the Holy Spirit. And so that is the second thing that we really feel God has been impressing upon us uh, at, at this time, that we are to be people of the Spirit. And we are people of the Spirit. We know that. But we are to be that all the more. You know, a phrase that we often use as our mission statement is that we are ordinary people changed by Jesus to change the world. You know, we can only get changed by Jesus. That only happens through the power of the Holy Spirit. And actually, we can only really change the world in the power of the Holy Spirit. So we are people of the Spirit. And we are called to be that all the more. That's where we're focusing today. Last week, we looked at the early church in Acts 2. Um, looking at how they lived together, how they interacted together, how they loved one another, and also the impact of that way of life. But we're going to be sticking with Acts today again, because actually what is particularly significant in that is what happened just before. It's what led up to that, what brought this radical change that we see in the church, in the people of God, in Acts chapter 2. So I'm going to read to you some extracts from the first couple of chapter, chapters of Acts. And again, just like last week, for, for many of you, for anyone who's been around the church for any length of time, these will be very familiar passages. Um, because this stuff is core for us. This is core to who we are, to the kind of church that we are. You know, none of this is new. Church as family, being people of the Spirit, it's not new. It's just that sometimes we need to be reminded of those things to, to kind of redress a balance. So even if these passages are familiar to you, and for some of you they won't be at all. For some of you this will be like hearing this for the first time, but I would encourage all of us to listen to this as if it's the first time. And don't let familiarity rob you of the sheer wonder of what is happening 
here in Acts 1 and 2. And let's listen to what God is saying to us today. And let's be expectant for what he's going to do in us today as well. So starting in Acts chapter 1 and in verse 4. So this is after Jesus has been resurrected. He's appeared to his disciples uh, and just before he ascends to heaven. And it says this, on one occasion, while he was eating with them, Jesus with his, his disciples, he gave them this command. Do not leave Jerusalem, but wait Wait for the gift my father promised, which you've heard me speak about. For John baptized with water, but in a few days you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit. So when they met together, they asked him, Lord, are you at this time going to restore the kingdom to Israel? And he said to them, it's not for you to know the times or the dates the father has set by his own authority. But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you. And you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem, in all Judea and Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. Okay, so there's this promise that Jesus makes. He promises this gift, which is the baptism or or the filling of the Holy Spirit. And he links that gift, he links that baptism of the Spirit with receiving power. And he links it with being a witness to the world, even to the ends of the earth. And he tells them to wait Wait for this to happen. In other words, don't do anything until, until you receive this. You won't reach anybody without this, but also you will know when it's happened. You will know when you've been baptized in the Holy Spirit. And we skip forward to chapter 2, and we, we see they really do. They really do know that this has happened. So it says this. When the day of Pentecost came, they were all together in one place. Suddenly, a sound like the blowing of a violent wind came from heaven and filled the whole house where they were sitting. They saw what seemed to be tongues of fire that separated and came to rest on each of them. All of them, every one of them, was filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in other tongues as the Spirit enabled them. So this power encounter with God happens, this incredible kind of experience with God, the tongues of fire, etc. The result is they start praising God. They start worshipping him they, they spill out onto the streets and are praising God. And they're speaking in tongues. They're speaking in these other languages that they haven't learned naturally, but God has given to them. And they are understood because Jerusalem at that time is filled with people from all different nations. They're there for a festival. So Jerusalem is absolutely packed with multinational people. Okay? And so they're speaking these other languages and they're understood. And a crowd gathers because of this commotion. And Peter starts to speak to the crowd. He preaches about Jesus. He preaches the gospel to the crowd. So we're going to skip forward to something he says. In verse 32, Peter says, God has raised this Jesus to life, and we are all witnesses of the fact. Exalted to the right hand of God, he has received from the Father the promised Holy Spirit, and he has poured out what you now see and hear. And he goes on, verse 38, to say, repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ, for the forgiveness of your sins And you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. So he's saying the gift that Jesus promised to his immediate disciples, he's now speaking to the crowd and saying this gift is also for you. You repent, get baptized, receive forgiveness, you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. The same thing Jesus was talking about before. And then in verse 39, he says this promise is for you and your children and also for all who are far off, for all whom the Lord our God will call. That's us. That's us. 
So Peter is saying that the same promise that Jesus made to his disciples there was extended to the crowd he was speaking to, but it also extends to us, the promise of the Holy Spirit, the gift of the Holy Spirit. And what does that mean? There have been, this is, a, this is a, a, a topic which has had centuries and centuries of theological debate about how the ministry of the Holy Spirit is expressed today, what is meant by the baptism of the Spirit, what's meant by the filling of the Holy Spirit. And I'm, I'm really not going to go there particularly, I'm just going to tell you what we believe. Okay, I could t- spend a lot of time talking about all of that, but actually, let me just tell you what we believe. Our conviction here at King's, what we believe, our biblical conviction, is really as we read it in the book of Acts. And there are, there are several other passages in Acts that we could go to, to to talk about the baptism of the Holy Spirit. But it's really as we, as we read it here in Acts that this baptism of the Holy Spirit is a promise for all Christians. For all who have repented and, and received forgiveness of sins. It's a promise for all Christians. And also that it is an experiential thing. It is, it is something you experience. You know if, it, if it's happened. And we need to experience God. Don't we? We need to experience God because it's not enough just to know about him or to kind of have a, some vague sense that, oh, God is there, maybe. I'll, I'll kind of hedge my bets and hope that maybe, you know, when I pray, somebody is listening. That's not really enough. We need to experience God. And it is experiential. The, the word itself, the word baptism is an experiential word. It's about being immersed and it's being drenched. You know, if you've been baptized in water, you know you've been baptized in water because you're soaking wet. You can't really miss it. And if you've been baptized in the Holy Spirit, you know. You know you've been baptized in the Holy Spirit. It's not prescriptive in the Bible what that looks like, by the way. You know, it, 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 there doesn't every time have to be tongues of fire and the sound of a, a, a violent wind and, and everyone speaks in tongues. That's, you read through the Bible, there, there are all sorts of ways in which that's happened. And experience would show there are all sorts of ways in which that happens. But you know it's happened, however it happens. And... It is, so it's an experiential thing. And really, how can it not be experiential if we're talking about being filled with the very love and power of God? The same power that raised Jesus from the dead. How can that not be experiential? Of course it is. And the prophet in the Old Testament, Joel, he talked about the days when the Spirit would be poured out on people. Poured out. That's an image which is repeated throughout Scripture, including in Peter's preach here in Acts 2. But not trickled, not, not a drizzle, but poured out, a flooding Jesus taught, said we will receive power when we receive the Holy Spirit, when we're baptized in the Holy Spirit. So being baptized with the Holy Spirit is no less than being completely flooded and uh, soaked through with the very person and power of God. That is something that I want more of. I don't know about you, I want more of that. And it's not a once for all thing either. It's not a once for all experience. We believe you are to go on being filled with the Spirit. Now, that's what we believe. That is our conviction because we believe it's what the Bible teaches, but also because of experience, because, because of the, seeing the reality of this in people's lives over many, many years and, and today. And actually, the baptism of the Holy Spirit was um, made the decisive difference in the beginnings of this church. Uh, back in the early 70s, when this church was just a small group of people meeting in somebody's living room on the Manor Farm estate up in Hazelmere, the baptism of the Holy Spirit made the decisive difference. And we're going to watch a video clip now. It's about five minutes. And uh, this is from a video that we made last year for our 50-year celebration. And uh, it features some of the, f- the founding members of the church, people who were there 
in the early 70s at those first meetings. Um, so you'll see Jeff and Mim, who are there at the back now, and uh, Keith and Di and Joy, you'll see those people. They were all there, founding members of the church, and they're talking about just the time when they kind of found out about this stuff, the baptism of the Spirit, and really the difference that it made. So let's have a look at this. We learnt about the Holy Spirit, and when he came, it was an amazing experience. We had some people come to our little group to say things were happening around the country, not a lot, but miraculous things. Christians were taking on a whole new lease of life, and would we like to know about it? And we had a debate, and to my shame, I argued that the Bible said we have every spiritual blessing in Christ. There isn't anything else. Mim and I were walking home from our evening meeting at Frank's house, and she wisely said to me on the way home, if there is something with God, why don't we just pray and ask God about it? So we agreed we'd pray, and when we got home, we went in the lounge knelt down on the armchair, and Mim started to pray. Now, what happened next is something I cannot describe in words adequately, and in a sense, it's probably very personal, but it, it set something amazing going. And as Mim was praying, and I was kneeling on the other side of the armchair, I started to interrupt her, which in the, it wasn't in the church policy manual that you interrupted someone when they were praying, especially in those days. You could a bit now. And I was not just interrupting, I was being loud. I was saying praise to God and Jesus is great. And she realised and she started joining me. We were singing and clapping and laughing for I don't know how long. And we realised we'd been filled with the Holy Spirit. And it was major. I said, we'd better ring Frank. And we were locking up from the night and we were in the kitchen and the phone rang and, and we could hear this person laughing down the end of the phone. And uh, it was Jeff and he said, Frank, I've been filled with the Holy Spirit. And I can remember Dad's jaw just dropping and uh, he looked quite crestfallen. And um, he said, well, I think we better go round and see what's going on. And so we hot-footed it round to Mim and Jeff's. And when we got there, they, they opened the door and you could tell they were different. They were full of joy and Jeff was just walking round the lounge, laughing his head off. And they just kept repeating the name of Jesus over and over again. And he came round that evening and several evenings after that to be prayed for, for the Holy Spirit. In the meantime, we found out that the rest of the group, one by one, were being having the similar kind of experience. I was standing one morning, because I worked in London, I was standing on um, the platform in Beaconsfield. It was 10 to 7 in the morning, I will never forget it. I had my case by the side of me. The platform was full of people queuing up for the mainline train to go to um, Marlborough. It was 10 to 7, and the Holy Spirit fell on me, baptised me in the Holy Spirit, and I started laughing. And if you can imagine, it was 10 to 7 in the morning, and I'm standing on the platform laughing uncontrollably, 
I couldn't stop laughing and there's these people looking at me as if I'm mad. I went to school the next day and I can remember it really vividly. I was sitting in a biology lesson and I was wandering and thinking, my mind was wandering about what had happened the night before because it was so different. And uh, as I was thinking about it, I just said very quietly in my head, Lord, if there's anything else and you want to fill me with the Holy Spirit, please do it. Well, then I was just blown away. I could feel bubbles of laughter and and joy welling up within me. And uh, I kept wanting to giggle, but I realised where I was. And um, every now and then I let out a little giggle and the teacher would look at me. And uh, it was just lovely. All I could think about was Jesus and what he'd done for me. And it was just amazing. We've lived in a period when the Holy Spirit has been poured out on people many times. Other, other generations lived through their whole life without that happening. Looking forward, hoping. Looking forward, yeah. hoping for it. Yeah. Incredible. You could, uh, you could listen to those guys speaking for a, for a long time. We've got a lot more video footage than that. Uh, but these stories, they're part of the fabric of who we are as a church, really. But, but this changed everything. The, the baptism of the Holy Spirit changed everything. The church grew. There was something that happened that caused the church to grow. You know, this would be a very different church, or probably a non-existent church, if there had not been the baptism of the Holy Spirit, then and now and in all the years in between. But what I want us to notice here is what the Spirit does first. And it came up very clearly in what they were saying on the video. Because yes, you know, we can be drawn and attracted or uh, you know, attention can be taken by the power aspect of it. It's kind of, you know, we see it in Acts 2, the tongues of fire and, and, and they, the witness they, they had, you know, the boldness they had. And we can be very drawn uh, to that. And we'll come to all of that in a minute. But what, what came out very clearly, I think, on that video was just how it changed how they saw Jesus. That they saw Jesus in a new way. They just fell more in love with Jesus, couldn't get enough of Jesus following being filled with the Spirit. That was the first change. Before the church grew and all the rest, that was the first change, was how they saw Jesus. Because it's what the Holy Spirit loves to do. It's what the Holy Spirit delights to do, is to glorify the Son. It's to point us to Jesus, to, to show us Jesus, to reveal Jesus to us in all his glory, all his majesty, and all his uh, beauty so that all we can do is worship him. It's the only response we have is to worship Jesus when we see him in that way. And that is what we were created to do in the beginning anyway, is to worship. And then in revealing Jesus to us, he immerses us in the love of God. We become so aware of the love of God for us. You know, that's why we can't do family, church as family, without the Holy Spirit. To, to, to love each other as Christ has loved us. I'm not capable of that. I don't have that in me in my own strength. I'm not capable of that kind of love, and so I need to receive that first. I need to receive that love. I need to be immersed in that love. I need to remain in his love, as Jesus tells his disciples, remain in my love. 
the Holy Spirit does that. Romans 5 verse 5 says, God has poured out his love into our hearts by the Holy Spirit whom he has given us. It's what the Spirit does. Romans 8 16, the Spirit himself testifies with our spirit that we are God's children. We become assured of his love for us as his children. Uh, 1 John 3 1, how great is the love the Father has lavished on us that we should be called children of God and that is what we are. That is what we are and we can only grasp that and, and, and understand that, know it, that God lavishes his love upon us. We only know that through the Holy Spirit who reveals Jesus to us and immerses us in the love of God. And that is certainly my own experience of being filled with the Spirit. So I remember back to when I was saved, the night that I was saved, um, just being flooded. It felt like being flooded with light, filled and flooded with the love of God, even in the moment of also becoming so aware of my own sinfulness, to be flooded with the love of God. You know, so for me, salvation was not so much about a decision on my part. It was just being overwhelmed with the love of God. And it led me to, to repentance and to worship and to tears and to great joy. I remember another time, another occasion being prayed for. This was during a time in the sort of mid-90s when God was doing kind of extraordinary things in his church. The spirit was moving in a really powerful way. Uh, and somebody praying for me and I kind of went down on the floor. So sort I of felt this weight upon me and I went down on the floor. And I was... I remember this, it was this wooden floor, I think it was in a school hall, and um, it was kind of like, in those moments, like the floor, something, the the floor kind of detached around me and started to lift up, and you know, I I can assure you, I had not taken anything illegal, right, I was on no illegal substances here, this is just what it felt like, the floor kind of lifted up, and this room was full of people, it was mayhem, there were people laughing and crying and shouting and being prayed for. But for those moments, it felt like I was lifted out of this room and it was just me and God and encountering his love for me. Not just in general, not just a general knowledge that God loves us, no, encountering his love for me and just full assurance of my sonship that he had adopted me, he had chosen me and he loved me with an unbreakable and eternal love. It was just intensely personal and intimate. And I need a bit more of that today. And I'm sure you do too. But that's what the Holy Spirit does first. He he reveals Jesus and the love of God to us in a very personal way. You know, even in that account I read in Acts where we might see the power, the outworking, the witnessing, the boldness. We see all of that. We'll just, you know, understand this. That their witness came out of their worship. Because what, what drew the crowds was their worship, their speaking in tongues. Their witness came out of their worship, and their worship came out of being filled with the Holy Spirit. It led them to worship Jesus and to praise God. So the Spirit changes how we see Jesus. He causes us to fall more in love with Jesus. He leads us into worship of Jesus, immerses us in the love of God. That's what he does first. That's what he loves to do, what he delights to do. But there should also be an outworking from that. You know, it's not just like a love fest. It's not just kind of like, so you feel warm and cozy. There should be an outworking. Uh, We are ordinary people changed by Jesus to change the world. There has to be an outworking, you know, and seeing God in a new way, seeing Jesus in this way, experiencing God's love should change us. 
It should do something in our hearts in a visible way to those around us. And he does fill us with power. And he gives us the power to witness to others. That's what Jesus said. It's what he promised, that you will receive power and you will be my witnesses because of receiving this gift of the Holy Spirit. That's what he said would happen. So there is an outworking. And it was Danish, the Danish philosopher Soren Kierkegaard who said this. He said, Christianity is incendiarism. Christianity is incendiarism. Christianity is fire setting. A Christian is a person set on fire. Does that describe you? Is that how others would describe you? John Wesley, who, who was a, you know, a central part of the, the incredible Methodist revival that swept through this nation back in the 18th century, uh, he, he said this. He said, light yourself on fire with passion and people will come from miles to watch you burn. In other words, if you are on fire, not literally, if you're on fire spiritually, people will notice. People, it will draw people to see you, to see what is going on. And that is what happened to Wesley, of course. People came from miles to hear him preach God's word because he was so full of God. He was so full of passion, energy, life for the gospel. He was so compelling that people would come to hear him preach. They'd come to listen and they would get saved. They would be born again. And this completely transformed this nation. Well, I'll do it again, Lord. Do it again. Amen. We need that again. This nation, we're in trouble. We need this again. Lord, set your church on fire. Set us on fire to be a beacon to this nation, to see many people saved. Do it again, please, Lord. But how is he going to do it? I don't know if you ever tried to light a, a barbecue with damp coals. You know, when the coals, the charcoal's been in the garage or the shed for a few years, and they've just got damp. Really hard to light them. You might use lots of matches. You might try fire lighters, lighter fluid, whatever. It's really hard to get these coals to take light. And I suspect that for a lot of us in this room, the Christian life often, or, or maybe even always, feels a lot less like being a person set on fire. And maybe a bit more like being a damp coal. You may have high aspirations for your Christian life of, you know, setting fires all over the place. Of all the conversations you're going to have, or the people, your friends and family that you're going to lead to Christ. The, the miracles, the healings that you're going to be part of. But the reality is somewhat less fiery. Maybe it's all a bit of a struggle. Maybe you find actually you're lacking in courage and you're lacking in faith and you're just pleased to get through the week sometimes. And it might be as we come together here on a Sunday morning, this is wonderful. I just love being together because there's some, something that happens as we're together. As we lift up the name of Jesus together, there's a dynamic in the room that happens that you can't have quite in the same way on your own. That's why we need to be together. And you might come here and you might just feel some sparks. There are just some sparks, but, but, but maybe because you're feeling a little bit damp overall, the fire doesn't quite take. You start to feel faith rising. You feel a bit of heat coming, but that heat dissipates very quickly. You know, maybe even by the time you reach your car door, it's gone because the worries of your life and the world are starting to crowd in and kind of take away and rob you of, of, of what you've had in here. It doesn't set you on fire. It's like the coals don't quite catch you can't start any spiritual fires unless you yourself are set on fire by God. And you know, when you light a barbecue with good coals, with good charcoal, what happens? One or two of the coals catch the fire first. They start to glow and they start to get that kind of grayish tinge, but they then affect the coals that they are touching. 
you know, the fire spreads from one coal to another. One coal might be touching five other coals, and the fire just spreads. And as more and more coals start to glow, the, the heat intensifies, and it keeps spreading wider and further and igniting those coals, which are kind of on the edge and maybe even separated from the rest of the coals and draws them into this fire. And that's what we see in the book of Acts. We see Jesus' disciples being set on fire by the baptism of the Holy Spirit at Pentecost. That fire then spreads. 3,000 people added that day, saved, baptized, repenting, forgiveness of sins, all the rest, set on fire themselves by the Holy Spirit. And then that fire spreads in Jerusalem because we're told in Acts that people were added every day. People were getting saved and added to their number every single day. The fire is spreading. Why? Because they saw, the people around saw these on-fire Christians. It drew them. They saw something was going on, how they love one another, how they live together. There's something different about you. It attracted people, drew them in, and they got saved themselves. The fire spread. And of course, many of that original 3,000 were from other nations, as I said. They went back to their own nations. The fire spread in those nations as well. And the world was turned upside down. In just a couple of centuries, disciples making disciples who make disciples who make disciples. In just a couple of centuries, bear in mind this is days without the communication that we have now. No social media, no emails, no internet. How this fire spread was unbelievable. They were immediately fulfilling what actually, when Jesus said it to them, they must have thought, you are, what are you talking, to the ends of the earth. How is that even possible? It seemed to be impossible. That was the command of Jesus. You will be my witnesses to the ends of the earth. There is no accounting for this, for what happened. There's no accounting for the spread of the early church apart from the effect of the baptism of the Holy Spirit. Because these people that we read about in Acts, they had very little going for them. You know, Peter and John, two of their main leaders, these are just uneducated fishermen from some backwater in Galilee. And they both, both these guys, deserted Jesus when he was arrested. You know, they're not exactly full of courage. Peter denied even knowing Jesus. He disowned him. There's only about 120 of Jesus' followers left at this point in Acts 1. 120. Doesn't look like Jesus' mission has been particularly successful, does it? And they're hiding. They're afraid. They're confused. They don't really know what to do. They're just waiting. This is a bunch of damp coals. These are very ordinary people who are a bit afraid, but they have an extraordinary God. And the Spirit comes, just as Jesus promised he would, and he changes everything. He transforms them. He sets them on fire, and then that fire spreads. Ordinary people changed by Jesus to change the world. People of the Spirit, that the call is the same on us today. We are called to be ordinary people changed by Jesus to change the world. We are called to be people of the Spirit. Now, uh, many years ago, I lived in France for a year as a student. We had a, quite a lot of barbecues. So I lived in this kind of farmhouse. It was beautiful. And, but we had a lot of barbecues. And we discovered actually quite a good way of lighting a barbecue. And it was using one of those heat guns, you know, um, the paint stripper kind of guns. A bit like a hairdryer, but it's a hairdryer on steroids, you know. It, it pumps out serious heat at the end of it. And you hold that against the coals, and it's the, 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 these coals are lit pretty quickly. There's an intensity of heat there pretty quickly. And I was thinking, oh, well, let's look, I'll bring one along to, as a, like a bit of a visual, a visual aid. But actually, it's not a very impressive visual aid because it, it just sounds like a hairdryer. Uh, you can't really see the heat. So I was thinking, what's the closest thing uh, that I could find? So I thought, one of these. Yes. 
You can see the headlines now. I've been scaring people in the office with this. This, this will get the dampest of coals lit pretty quickly. You hold this against some damp coals, they are going to light. It's a bit like the baptism of the Holy Spirit. You can take the dampest of coals. You can take the most miserable Christian. You can take the weakest, most cowardly Christian. And uh, he can set them on fire. He can set them on fire with joy, with passion, with courage, with boldness, and above all, with a burning love for Jesus. And so what we're going to do in a minute is I'm going to get you to line up and I'm going to anoint you all. <laughs> you're going you're gonna to feel the presence. No, I'm not going to do that. Um, I, look, I want us to pray. I want us to pray. Um, the question is, are you full of the Holy Spirit? How full do you feel of the Holy Spirit? Sometimes Christians who come to churches like ours are called spirit-filled Christians because that, that's a reference to what we believe in particular about the baptism of the Holy Spirit. But, you know, spirit-filled is not, should not just be a label. It shouldn't just be a category. It should be a lived-out reality and experience for us. We are to be filled with the Spirit. But, you know what, most of the time, I'm not. I'm not. And I guess you're not either. How do we know? Well, there are several things, very briefly. You know, how aware are you of the God's power in your life? He's the spirit of power. How aware are you of God's power in your life? He's the spirit of purity. He's the Holy Spirit. The clue is in the name. Galatians 5 is pretty unequivocal. It says, live by the spirit and you will not gratify the desires of the sinful nature. So if you walk in the spirit, if you're full of the spirit, you'll be free from sin. Does that describe you? He's the spirit of assurance. As I said earlier, you know, he testifies with our spirit that we are God's children. The Holy Spirit brings absolute assurance of God's love for you and that you are his child. You belong to him forever. You have full assurance of your salvation. No doubts. None of those days where you wonder where God has gone. Does he really love me? How could he possibly love someone like me? Or am I just pretending to be a Christian? Is he really there? Maybe you've even had that thought of, am I going to be one of those people to whom Jesus says, away from me, I never knew you? How full of the Spirit are you? He brings assurance of your salvation. He brings his presence. How aware are you of the presence of God in your life? And as I said before, he reveals Jesus to us in a way that we just love him. We just love him. How in love with Jesus are you? How full of the Spirit are you? Power, power. Uh, Purity, assurance, presence, love for Jesus. How full of the Spirit are you? And you know what? Even if you feel like, I'm, yeah, I'm, I'm okay at the moment, there's room for more. I tell you, there is room for more. So we're going to pray. We're going to pray um, for those who, who want to receive. We're going to have the opportunity to let God do what he wants to do, receive the Spirit, and who knows, maybe even get a bit of this. I won't use this on you. Okay. Now, let me just say, actually, let me just say before we pray, it might be that for you, this is a bit scary when you think of the Holy Spirit in that way. Maybe that's a bit too much. And listen, yes, the Holy Spirit can be like that, that kind of power. But he also knows you. He knows you and he loves you. If that's not helpful for you, please forget it. Please ignore it. Please ignore it, okay? He knows you. He won't force himself upon you. He won't make you do anything you don't want to do. He knows you and he loves you. And in John chapter 7, Jesus says, 
If anyone is thirsty, let him come to me and drink.